For any questions about today's episode or previous episodes, please feel free to reach us at podcast at mc-mc.com. This is Austin Davidson. I am joined today by Jeremy Spafford, and we're going to discuss some photoelectric sensors. Very good. So we're going to start with the fact that a lot of the sensors we use, if you think about a diffuse sensor, the photo eyes are typically going to be susceptible to whatever you're looking at. So between a black or a white object, it's going to make it look like it's a different range. So those are things you have to consider when using just a standard photoelectric. Uh, we also have different types of technology called time of flight, which is going to essentially shoot out the beam and knowing the speed of light when it comes back, we can calculate how far that is and we can use that to do some fun stuff too. So uh, the first photoelectric sensor we're gonna talk about is going to be the 45 PLA. PLA stands for polarized light array. Jeremy, have you used this sensor at all or seen it used? I've used it in in the past in testing. Um, we did this in a hot training. So for, for a little background real quick on me, you know, I'm currently an account manager at Mac and Mac, but uh, was in your, your position as the industrial control sensors and safety product manager. And so we played with it at, at hot and it was actually for the correct application was very, very uh, useful for uh, the most thing, the most important thing that uh, sticks out to me, or the most useful thing I should say, was uh, like a milk crate example. So you had a milk crate going across a conveyor, and where a typical single point photo eye uh, retro reflective would, you know, kind of shoot through the gaps in the milk crate and go on and off and on and off, and you'd have to take that into consideration either with multiple sensors, um, or by making sure you had it set correctly. Um, because this had a 69 millimeter height, it would it would see at least a portion of the crate at any given time and not give you any of that sort of pulsing. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I know that's that 69 millimeter height that equates to a little bit under three inches, uh, and that is something that people have brought up to me a couple of times. They think, oh, that's not very tall. Can we can we stack these? And at the moment, we cannot. I believe. Rockwell is looking into potentially making a taller one, but at the moment we do not have anything taller than that. So think of it as essentially, instead of using four or five photo eyes, uh, we essentially have this light array that is four or five beams uh, in a row, which you, because it is polarized, it comes with a reflector. So it is possible to also use this in situations where you might be having to look at a clear object or any other application where typically a polarized reflective uh, sensor is what you would want to look for. Yeah, I think I think the uh, the other thing that we found is it can detect something really really small, as small as six millimeters. So the typical example they give is it can detect say a box and an envelope at the same time. Gotcha. And it pretty much zero stacks like on the ground, right? So it's the, the beam. What's, what's the, if you mounted it as far down as possible, what's the, the sort of dead zone between the ground and the, and the, the arrays? Do you know? Yeah, I believe because of the way that it's built, but it is, there is a zero or a very small 
dead zone yeah. at the bottom. I believe the gotcha. entire thing from uh, top to bottom is is basically used. Good, good. Yeah, the other thing to keep in mind with the, the polarized light array is that they're, the idea here is to, with the polarized, you know, using it as effectively a polarized retroreflective is you don't have to wire to both sides of a conveyor. But if you do need a little bit more height, there is still the option of using the uh, the through beam light arrays, which, you know, effectively take the form of like a light curtain, um, but non-safety rated uh, to kind of do something similar. So um, something to keep in mind there that there are there are ways of getting around applications where you need sort of taller, taller viewing. So Yeah, I think it's one of those. It's a little bit of give and take, right? You're giving a little bit of the um, you're gaining some height, but you're losing resolution because the resolution on this thing is pretty good. If you move to the yeah. bigger light arrays, I think so that yeah, eight card uh, example that you gave earlier may end up giving you trouble if you use the bigger light arrays. Oh, okay. But let's move on to uh, the, the next sensor that we we're going to talk about. This is kind of the, the all around, if you will, if you're familiar with the 9000 series uh, that's been around for quite a while. Uh, this is very similar to that in terms of capabilities, and it kind of has the biggest uh, slew of, of options, if you will. So they're trying to market this as the general purpose all-around sensor. We have the typical uh, transmitted beam, the back or the uh, polarized retroreflective, and there's also uh, background suppression and background reflection. Now. Most people are probably familiar with background suppression. Uh, that is simply you find a, a point out in space that you want to use as, say, an artificial background, and then you tell the sensor to ignore everything behind that. Now, background reflection, something that's a little bit newer, I, I think foreground suppression is another word that uh, people are using for it. But essentially, with background suppression, you're teaching a background, and then there the background is never actually there. Uh, you teach it and then you remove it typically. Uh, with background reflection, this is something where you can, the, the application usually that they will give is if you're looking down on a conveyor. So the conveyor is always gonna be there. Uh, and you may have objects that are gonna be varying heights passing through. So the heights to me is not as big of a deal. Maybe the colors or the reflections of them would be a bigger deal. So say if you have uh, saran wrapped or objects that are gonna be varying reflection reflectivity. You can teach this essentially that the conveyor is its background and then now you can think of this almost as a transmitted beam situation. So the background is the receiver and your transmitter is still up top. So what it's physically doing is because it is a time of flight sensor, it knows how long it's going to take to get to that conveyor that you've taught it or whatever background it may be. And if anything breaks that, so if it ends up coming back to the sensor any quicker than it would expect from the conveyor, it's going to trigger. So we've not seen this used a whole lot, but I, I have personally used it to prove some clear object uh, situations where the clear object sensor wasn't performing as well as we would want it to. But essentially, you can artificially make a transmitted beam receiver using a background that will be constant. And this is, this is due to the fact that it's using that time of flight technology. So instead of looking at the intensity of the light and making assumptions about how far 
away the object is is that it's reflecting off of it's actually looking at how long it takes that light to leave and then come back um so then the intensity doesn't really matter as much which is really one of the bigger differences between background suppression and background reflection right correct yeah so so that's the thing typically background suppression if you talk to any of the product specialists they'll usually tell you that you can think of it as it's, it's essentially diffuse with an extra little bell or whistle if you will but it is it and and anything in between um, that is using just the intensity of the light, like you said, is susceptible to, to what it's looking at. So that's why on a lot of these sensors, you may see um, they'll give you a distance that the sensor can see an object or uh, the, the range of the sensor get bearing if it is a black object or a white object is usually the two things that they'll give you. So the the black object is typically going to have to be closer because black absorbs light, right? So you're going to get less uh, transmittance back. So yeah, to your point, the the background reflection or any of these time of flight technologies, you don't really have to worry about that. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. So and go ahead. I was say just so stepping back a little bit to talk about the 42 AF outside of sort of those two very specific technologies, you know, the the sensor itself sort of looks like a 42 EF, mm-hmm. um, which is is also again sort of a general purpose sensor, but a little bit of a smaller form factor. Where the the nose, if you want to call it, on the 42 EF is an 18 millimeter. Uh, M18 threaded barrel effectively the the nose of a 42 AF is is the exact same but in a 30 millimeter so it's an M30 uh, threaded barrel which gives you a lot more mounting options when compared to the series 9000 um, which I think is going to be very very cool um, plus you get all the the same uh, mounting options that you had with the the series 9000 because it's it still has a what is it an M12 threaded um, no, it, it has the 30 millimeter on the face and the 18 on the base. So the 18 on the base. Yeah. Okay. So that's typically industry wide. Those are going to be the two options that you'll see with sensors. So I believe that's why they went that way. So again, that's the, the whole thing with this sensor is it's supposed to be all around. You can pretty much mount it with any bracket, whether it's ours or, or somebody else's. Uh, and you'll be able to retrofit it in a place where pretty much any other sensor has been used. Uh, is kind of what they're looking for. And you also have uh, up to an IP69K rating on it. So I know Food and Bev is something that they've kind of targeted this for if if you have to pick an industry. Um, But pretty much they're trying to to give it enough options to where you really could use this for for almost everything. Yeah. So asking the question, I know the verbiage from Rockwell up to this point is that this is not a series 9,000 replacement quite yet, meaning the 9,000 isn't going anywhere. Um, but, you know, the writing on the wall will be that there is some eventuality there. Um, in your mind and, and what you know, is there anything currently that the series 9,000, and sorry if I'm putting you on the spot here, uh, that the series 9,000 can do that the 42 AF cannot do? The only thing off the top of my head that I have seen, I believe the Series 9000 still has a longer range in certain situations. Gotcha. But that's the only the only thing really that comes to mind. Anything else, I think the 42AF 
can be used basically as a direct replacement right now. And, and something that we're seeing is, to your point, it seems more and more of what they're putting out with this 42AF line is mirroring the capabilities of the 9000 series. So I think whatever the 9000 series was able to do and kind of from a, a market perspective, what people were really using it for, I think they've consolidated that and they're loading all those capabilities into this 42AF line. So yes, I think eventually, I won't speak for Rockwell, but I think eventually it may end up becoming the the new generation of the 9000 series. Uh, but at the moment, yeah, there, there hasn't been any announcement of that. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So looking at it, looking at proposal works right now, it doesn't look like there's any sort of a laser version, which is one thing that the, the series 9000 does have. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be something they need to need to fill in at some point as yeah. well. So yeah. sure it'll be in, in the line. So very good. And, and to that point as well, I think, at the moment, it seems like Rockwell's main concern or their, their main driving force on all the sensors right now is they are really going after this IO link thing pretty strong. Uh, it seems like while they're still putting out new and new sensors, really a priority in the front of their mind is putting as many sensors as they can on IO link so that we can take advantage of all, all the capabilities that that, that offers. So I think, seeing specialized sensors coming out in the next few years you know we have the the color sensor that just came out and there there's a barcode reader coming out as well um those will probably still be pushed out eventually but i think you're gonna see a bigger focus on this whole connected enterprise device to dashboard whatever verbiage you want to use for it of essentially getting all of our sensors on io link and then being able to pull all this data from them and, and actually doing something with it yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll do a we'll do an IO Link podcast mm-hmm. in a little bit where we can really deep dive on the technology and capabilities of, of Alan Bradley. Yeah, so. certainly. So the next thing I wanted to move to, just to kind of keep things rolling uh, and to give people some more examples of these time of flight sensors, <clears throat> um, two others that we have are going to be the forty five DMS and the forty five LMS, and so. Uh, essentially, those both just stands for a measurement sensor, uh, and they're going to be uh, used to, with pretty good accuracy, depending on what you're looking for. Uh, they're going to be used essentially just to give you a measurement back, whereas a lot of the sensors, unless you're getting an analog output back from them, uh, you're going to get essentially an on-off is what they're usually used for. So these these distance sensors are giving you a signal back that is telling you essentially what the distance from the sensor is. Uh, And again, with with all the IO link capabilities and all that jazz, uh, if you're using everything in the fashion that AB would like you to use it, then essentially you're getting that data directly back to you in a form that makes sense. So you're not getting all this jargon back. You're basically getting, hey, what I'm looking at is is 70, 70 millimeters away. Um, and you can see the the, the change that um, the DMS is a accurate than the uh, LMS. Uh, it's going to give you essentially a one millimeter accuracy. So that's if you're looking really, really for fine movements. Uh, whereas the LMS is, it has a longer range, but again, it's kind of like we talked about with those uh, those light arrays earlier. 
typically with with longer range, you give up a little bit of the uh, the resolution or the accuracy. So uh, we essentially have an option for for both sides. We can go uh, as far with the LMS as about 50 meters. So I mean that's 50 meters and 25 millimeters worth of uh, resolution is, is pretty good when you think about it. I agree. I, so. It, I noticed, so it's a, in a standard diffuse, you're talking about a 15 millimeter range, sorry, 15 meter yes. range with the 45 LMS, but it says 50 millimeters, gosh, I said it again, 50 meters retro reflective. Do you need, are you basically needing to mount a reflector on a moving object on the, or on the object that you're trying to measure, or is it, will it give you the resolution or the distance of something interrupting the beam? I believe the, the retroreflective, you are setting a background with the reflector and then anything that comes in between, it's going to give you, again, it's time of flight. So uh, it's going to give you the distance that that object is to the sensor. Oh, oh that's good. Okay, cool. Good deal. Cool. And then one other thing just to mention based off what you were saying earlier, just to expound a slight bit was that, you know, Typically, typically with anything that you're measuring distance in the past, you would always need to, if you actually were looking for distance, some sort of an analog output, whether it was, uh, you know, zero to 10 volts or, or um, four to 20 milliamps. And with that, you have a very large amount of susceptibility to like noise and yeah. stuff. So, you know, using shielded cables and watching your cable runs and all this stuff was very, very important. Um, and can also cause maintenance headaches if things get, get thrown out of whack. Um, but, you know, again, not to dwell on IOLink too much, but that is one uh, point that I find extremely valuable and compelling with IOLink is that you can then run a standard 24-volt cable through your 24-volt your tray but not need to worry about any sort of specific shielded cabling that can get really expensive, and you get that actual distance measurement in an IOLink data form at the PLC level without having to do any sort of, of conversion, which is, again, just sort of expanding what you said, um, really valuable when it comes to actually measuring distance. Yeah, because so in, in my own experience, um, I've used an ultrasonic sensor to measure tank level. And when all you get back is an electrical value and you have to calibrate all that yourself, not only is there there's noise issues, but there is a human error involved as well, right? So exactly, it's one of those things where it, it really just kind of simplifies everything. So again, uh, we can go over the IO link stuff later, but that really is the quick takeaway is what you said is we're getting units back that are understandable to us. And there is a whole lot of variability that's taken out of it uh, if you use it in that way. So, uh, and with the time of flight sensors, these, uh, these, these measurement sensors, because they're looking at that time of flight, we have the same options uh, in the, the DMS for background suppression and background reflection. Uh, but then in the LMS, we're going to essentially have that retroreflective uh, and also just a standard diffuse mode. So really the takeaway from, from the two of these is basically we can detect something as small as one millimeter in terms of a, a distance and thickness or, or distance. We can go as far as 50 meters if we need with a 25 millimeter accuracy. So I don't expect anybody to really remember these numbers. Just know that we have a slew of options when it comes to this can be anything from measuring 
pallet thickness if you're if you're stacking uh, objects on top of it. Um, I, have these been used with the the UAVs? You know, or the uh, the unmanned vehicles? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I haven't seen any specific um, applications. You know that I've I've personally witnessed, but I do know that that's a um, that is an application that that's been used when you're you're consistently looking at um, at, at distance measurements. Yeah, so, I think typically they're used uh, in conjunction with maybe an area scanner, just so you. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, area scanner for for safety, and then and then maybe using the laser sensors for direction. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, the, the next thing that we're just going to tease a little bit, I, I don't know if it's out for sure, so uh, we can talk about it next time. But there is a company that uh, Rockwell purchased a few years ago uh, called Odos. You, you guys may have heard the name a few times, but uh, they have a product that they called the Swift, which is now being marketed on the industrial side as the Swift E. And essentially what that is, it is a... 3D time of flight sensor. So if you combine everything that we've talked about today, we have a light array, we have time of flight sensors. This is essentially a time of flight light array. So it has a lot of little points on it. Uh, we're shooting out tons of beams, if you will, and detecting the time that it takes for them to come back. So uh, the example that they always give for this is essentially if you're looking down at a box that's being filled, sometimes you can look down at the box and it there may be an item missing but because of the patterns of everything it may look that it's like it's full um, but this thing can actually detect the uh the level of everything that's in there and very quickly tell you if something's missing so uh, once we get a little more information on that uh pushed from rockwell uh we will certainly introduce it to you guys yeah i agree i think i think that's going to be worth a deeper dive at a different point um but yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Having the idea, calling it a 3d, um, sensor is, is accurate, but, but it's, it, the basis is actually sort of camera technology. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that we probably should spend time, spend some time to try to step-by-step -step sort of explain what the technology is and what the applications are. Cause it's, it's going to be very cool, but it's also going to be very probably specific to, uh, to applications. Yeah. yeah.